All right. Hi, everybody. I'm Wendy Murdoch, and this is Webinars with Wendy. I've been doing a series of webinars now for over a year and a half. Um, in August, we're going to slow down a little bit to about two a week, just because it's the end of summer, a lot of stuff is going on, um, but we're going to keep rolling. And so we have some great guests lined up. Somebody asked for a Western Saddle Fit webinar. We're going to have that with Dr. Joyce Harmon on the 11th, so be sure to tune in for that. Because um, it's not easy to find a lot of information out about fitting Western saddles. But today, I am so excited to have Becky Tenjes back. This is your third webinar? It is. Yeah, your third webinar. Yeah. And this is a really interesting topic. So I'm going to let Becky introduce herself and then take us right on into the topic for today of what do you do when you can't touch a horse? Welcome. Mm -hmm. Thanks so much, Becky, for joining me today. You are welcome. Um, I have just threw some stuff on one of my old presentations. So I'm just going to flip to, oops. Oh, I'm hang on, let me make you co-host. Uh, there we go. Mm, okay. Before I do that, let me make sure that I have the thing open that I want to click on because I know that's how that thing works. So I'll just go like that. So now that this is your third webinar, I'll create a playlist for you because I usually wait till I have three webinars with the same person. Yeah. Um, okay. And, and, but it's just so people know that there's, when there's a particular person that's been on a few times, you can go find their playlist and find all the webinars for just that person, like Joyce Harmon and Sharon Lurler-Wilsey, Raquel Butler, and of course now Becky. Wow. I feel like I've like made it in life. I get to, I get to be in a list with all of those amazing people. And now I have a playlist. How cool is that? Um, so um, yeah, my topic today is connecting without touching. And um, for me, it's really been a growing awareness of the power of our intention and visualizing. And so that's- You wanna just make that, just start your plate, uh, start your slideshow because we're in um, edit mode right now. Yeah, let's see. Slide, oh, not that, get out of there. Slideshow. There we go. Start. Yeah. Super. Out of the way. Now can you, uh, yep. Just I'm trying to make this get smaller. Okay, good. Um, yeah, so that's the topic. If you don't know who I am, um, of course, my name is Becky. I got started on this body work and wellness journey because of this guy on the right. Um, he was the horse that um, I bought for my daughter. And um, as it often goes, about a month after you buy a horse, you're like, hmm, are you lame? I think you might be lame. Um, <laughs> and um, so that began a journey of um, becoming a body worker and it has just changed my life, truly. It's, it's super cool. Um, this horse here could be the horse that I have, I, is the most memorable to me. It was a horse that I was taking a photonic health light um, energy class and um, that horse Willard was a super amazing influence on me. I just feel like uh, as I've been learning how to create wellness, it's just been a constant journey of trying to know better so that I can do better. And I think we're, we're all there, you know, what we don't, we, we can't do what we don't know. Um, but from, you know, here's my parade of things, you know, before I did anything, I, I didn't know anything. I really was, I, I think I was kind of the poster girl for understanding Western medicine, which is, you know, medicate it or cut it, or um, maybe there's a little nutrition in there. But um, my perspective was 
pretty narrow. And, um, but I started with the Masterson method and then I became a thermographer and, you know, then I looked at saddle fit and I got to do rehab certification. And so there's all kinds of things I'm certified in and then all kinds of things that I'm doing. Um, Hey, have done for continuing it. I've added you on here, Wendy. Um, And um, it helping horses. It's really been my focus for the last 10 years. Um, But it has, open my awareness to and a desire to become more attuned to being a better human <laughs> frankly so there's three other things two of them are super recent Wendy you said that you were um, really focusing more on on some of the heart math topics and I have jumped all in which is typical <laughs> of me um, and so I'm in the middle it's been a while of this you know holistic wellness coaching and recently I have started actually it starts this week this um, certification where it's part of heart mass you know just building personal resilience and a mentoring program and then a, another one that's just the science and practice of heart coherence and all of this is a hundred percent connected to um, what has been happening, I would say that video that you saw that I posted on Facebook, um, I posted May 19th. And I got recently on Facebook, there's been um, maybe like six months ago, there was this video of a swan. And what you saw was this lake with all this fog. And then as you watch the video, the swan came into view and then landed all like right in front of you. I don't know if any of y'all seen that, but I feel like that's what's happening to me. Like I've been living in a fog. (laughs) I was living in a fog of Western medicine. And now things just over time, as I've been taking more and more classes, like the fog is lifting and I don't know how much more clear it can get, but what the, the things that I have been doing recently and learning from all of these people um, have been making things more clear about really the power of what we intend and in our heart and and why and that the um the heart math piece of it um and my understanding really of the science of the um electromagnetic spectrum has you know i mean i i think i can say that i have successfully arrived in a place where my 10 years ago self would have looked at my current self and gone whoa, that was super. Because <laughs> <laughs> um, the kinds of things that I say that are tumbling out of my mouth about energy and touch and not touch and what you can accomplish are just like, my seriously, my 10 years ago self would have been like, okay, that one's weird. I'm just not going near her. But I can just tell you that there is science to um, creating wellness. And I really... Um, some of the techniques that we do in the Masterson method, um, you know, we have a technique like called under scapula and you put your hand under the scapula. But if you can't put your hand under the scapula because it's just too tight, well, you can put your hand on top of where it would go and pretend. You can put your mind there and you can use the principles of how we work with the Masterson method and follow the, you know, search for tension and restriction and follow the blink. And your hand is not where it would be, but your brain is telling it where it would be. And sometimes it works even better than actually going underneath. There's another technique that we do where we, um, we search for tension and restriction around the psoas. 
Well, y'all know the psoas is like super deep. And so we're, you know, searching, searching, but we're six elevators up, floors up from where the actual psoas is. So I have been teaching and saying for years, you know, this is how you do it in the Masterson method. But like somehow there was this intellectual disconnect, I guess, between um, the ability to uh, influence physiologic structures by not touching. And I didn't understand how far away not touching could be. And I mean, just to be perfectly honest, I met a lovely lady who regularly I refer clients to um, years ago in a red light class. And um, she was an animal communicator. And back then I was like, you know, holding my face, but rolling my eyes inside my face. Um, now I don't do that. I don't know how it works, but it's kind of in proper, perhaps in the same category. So Wendy, you saw me post this video on the 19th of May of this horse. And um, that, you know, in this slide here, I've got sort of the memorable and current. And I kind of have these things in two buckets. And the first one is this one where I think I understand it. And I am actively working at doing this thing without touching. Um, the other, you know, this other one down here was super memorable. And um, I appreciated it as a bystander, but I didn't know what was going on and it was just sort of cool. So um, this horse that I posted about um, in May um, is a client at a location that I go regularly and it happens to live next to this white horse. And so I'm working with, with this horse, it was a gelding and it had had a crash. It's a jumping horse and it, it and its uh, rider had had a tumble and it had, um, it had gone sort of this way. And so it had hit its shoulder and it had hit the side of its head. And um, then there was sort of the collateral impact of the body, but it popped up and um, the rider popped up and they all sort of shook themselves off and dusted themselves off and hopped back on and away they went. Um, but then I was visiting this horse about a week later. And um, this zone was a super no touchy zone, like literally. Um, and um, I have recently gone through um, training uh, it's Rene, Dr. Renee Tucker's um, equine biokinetics. And um, I have recently been reading um, a book called Sacred Spaces. Have you heard of that, Wendy? Yep. Okay. You're going to want to hear about this. Super cool. Um, I think the lady's name is Dr. Fay, um, who has written about it. And um, so the equine biokinetics uh, really, you use your intention and you do use presence, it's super light touch, but you, you, you do use presence, but it's super deep work that you're doing. And six years ago, seven years ago, eight years ago, I'd have been like, oh, that lady's weird doing that. <laughs> um, but I learned it and I use it a lot. And I'm, and you, you are enabled to, you do super deep work um, at the joint injunction, um, but you're just standing there. You're just standing there with your hands in places, looking like a goofball, perhaps to other people. Meanwhile, there's all kinds of amazing things that happen. So I had that training. And then I've been reading this book by um, Dr. Fay about sacred spaces. And in that book, she talks about um, the science of 
the connection that we can have with horses and um, how we, we can influence, we can have a conversation with them and how we can, we can communicate with them. And um, I will not do it justice, but the super short version and what I took away from it is that um, horses and animals um, communicate with one another and they see in videos. And so my little baby mind took that and said, right, okay, well, I don't know if it works or not, but I'll just try it. And I will um, create a Hansel and Gretel trail forward of a movie, like just uh, play a movie in my head. And I have my hands. So this horse that was like, I kill you, if was a, the sense of what he gave me when I got up around his head. So I thought to myself, well, Dr. Faye says that you can just play a movie. And um, so I looped together my knowledge of anatomy, the bone anatomy and the muscle anatomy and fascia at the like, what does fascia look like? It looks like uh, nylon with all those little threads and they're all little baby straws with fluid going through and fluid going around. And I have, a, so I have that really minute sense of what fascia looks like. And I have an impression from education I've gotten about what the fascial trains are and what's connected to what, what's, what's you know, communicating with what. So I had that anatomy knowledge. I had a picture in my head of the crash that the horse did because I was able to see it. It was kind of creepy, but um, I saw the crash. So I knew what torqued what way and what ought to untorque. So I had this video in my head of like, that's what y'all did, but we're gonna like unwind that. And, um, and then I had, I looped together this, um, what I had learned from Dr. Tucker and what I have learned from Jim in the Masterson program of how we watch for the horse. You know, we run our hand, usually like touching, we run our hand along and when the horse blinks, that's where they have tension and restriction and then we stay. So the basic, at the very basic level in the Masterson level, what we do is we search for a response. Um, we search for a response and then we stay until there's a release. So I just wove all that together from my six feet away and I just stood there and played this movie in my head, pretending I was touching, but I wasn't, and seeing what got torqued and seeing what should get untorqued and then following the blink because I was just sort of seeing it with, you know, looking at the horse's body. And I just wanted to see what would happen because I couldn't touch him. So I was just like, well, I'll just see what will happen. And it worked. <laughs> it was shocking how it just worked. I was six feet away, but attending. And, and my intention was to find and release tension and reduce discomfort and help. Um, so we know in the Masterson method when we're working that, you know, they blink when we get to a place where they have tension. So I just sort of uh, 
you know, if you're, I'm looking outside right now and I, I can see the forest, but if I want to tune straight into something closer, I attune focus and everything else sort of goes out of focus. So I was not like staring with hard eyes, but I was attending and I would bring my attention in using all that stuff that I just said I wove together. And then when there was some sort of release and he would lick and chew or shake his head or whatever. And I'm like, well, you know, work just got a whole lot easier because I, I don't have to use my body because I'm standing six feet away. So, so there was also this like, kind of, it was in, I was just shocked at how it was working, but it was. And um, so I kind of worked through that area, worked, um, and then I moved around to the right side of him. So, and Becky, can I, can I pause you for one second here? Yeah. Uh, are there any more slides? And if not, let's make you big because you're talking with your hands and I think we want to see that. All right. Um, there <laughs> are, but I'll stop sharing for a second. And, um, and then there is a question. Yeah. Um, and somebody said, you didn't even put your hands up to the area six feet away. No. I've done that and it works, but it sounds like you didn't even do that. I didn't. And then someone's asking if you've met Sharon Wilsey. No, I've only watched her on video with you. Okay. Um, um, we, well, when we finally get this whole thing sorted out and COVID's behind us, we're going to have to have a little uh, group, like in-person meeting of some of the guests that I've had, because I think that would be so wild. <laughs> it would be. I got to tell you, this situation, this experience was super wild because um, I tend to be, every time I um, am, I learn about or I see some new kind of modality, including Masterson when I first started this 10 years ago, my initial reaction is like, shut up, that doesn't work. <laughs> um, because it's just so unbelievable, um, truly unbelievable. So no, I wasn't touching the horse. Um, we do know, you know, when I work with the horses, the horses, they don't wanna feel their stuff. They, they have a survival need not to, um, not to acknowledge the pain that they're in. They have a survival need not to show. And so whether now I understand that I can just go there with my mind, but um, whether we're going with touch or now going with our mind, th th it's bringing up for them things they've been like, la, 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 I, I don't want to deal with that. Um, I get that at a, at a real internal level because I have fibromyalgia. And so I block it out. Um, but if I attend to it, I think about it. I take inventory. Like now when I just did that, the big knuckle on my toe is on fire. I can inventory my way all the way up and everything will be in pain, but I don't want to do that. So I'm going to block that all out. And that's what I believe. I don't know how it works with horses, but they have our survival need not to feel. So when we're coming with our intention to find and release their tension, we're also creating for them awareness that they've been blocking out. And so it looks different for each horse when they're going through that sort of crisis of presence with their discomfort. We can know with our active frontal lobe that on the other side of this attending and my presence and staying and the release of tension, there's going to be improvement. Um, but they don't know that. They can't think that. And so they just like, yeah, I don't, you know, y'all should go. I'm going to bite you. I need to, you know, my release process is, you know, this, and it includes biting something and you're there. So I'll bite you or, or, um, they also, they also brace against you. 
in their desire, their not frontal lobe desire, but their need to not feel, they kind of come into your space. And that's what this horse started doing. When I came around to the right, um, he came into me and he, and, and what, what we know is that in order to um, deal with your stuff, you kind of have to feel it. And it's your own stuff. Like his stuff is his stuff. And I can't, I can't, I can set the stage for you with the presence of my presence. Um, but I can't do it for you. And if your body's ready to let it go, well, then it's ready to let it go. But, but I can't make it, let it go when I can't make you let it go. Can we add um, this a little bit? Cause there's several things that you just brought in that little part right there. First of all, somebody is saying that I've never heard before that horses having survival need to not feel pain. And that's fascinating, okay. but I, I totally agree with you. And I don't think it's, it's, I think it's a mammalian thing. Sure. Right. It's not just a horse or a human thing in, in order to survive. How many of us compensate and don't show our pain? That is one of the problems. It's also what lets us keep going in spite of huge disaster. Absolutely. I, I will say that I suspect that prey animals, it's more finely tuned. And I um, would say that we are prey animals. Uh, true, true. Um, we, the difference is that we can make a tool so that we're a predator, but right. without tools, we're screwed. Right. <laughs> yeah, I, I think another difference is just the um, the anatomy of our brain. We yeah. have a much bigger frontal lobe, and so we have reasoning and thinking, which is kind of a pain in the pahookie because you know we can get stuck in the past and we can get stuck in the future and we can get stuck in the present and we can just be big fat old stuck. Um, horses' frontal lobe is like me; it's super tiny, and they are present in the present um, and. This horse that I worked with on May 19th, I said, live next door to a white horse. And that horse is the poster child for horses are prey animals and their first response is to flee. And the horse that lived next door, for it was caught on the farm video, but in a nanosecond with apparently no input, she launched herself over the front gate. Oh. Except she didn't make it. And she did a rotational fall. And she had a catastrophic break of an area in her back end. And she, I have been treating her daily now um, since right about this, shortly after that May 17th. And so it, you know, there are just no accidents in timing and how things evolve for us. Um, but what I learned about in working with this gelding where I could work without touching, I have had to use with the white horse next door because I literally could not touch her. But I had learned from the guy next door that I could help without touching. And um, it's been it's been profound. What has been able to happen? It's not just me, you know. But but it's been profound to be able to harness all that I know and use it to um, support and and enhance. And um, so you know, there there is 
I absolutely agree with you. You know, we're, we're all, we're all prey animals, but, um, you know, horses, horses flee and they live in a group setting. Even when we put them in their own little boxes, they, they still are herd animals and they respond um, the way a herd does. And I just finished teaching another weekend class and almost every time I teach it, when I, when I ask them to remind us all, you know, what does it mean to be a herd? to be a horse and live in a herd. And, and, you know, they all say what it means. And then, um, and then at some point I say, okay, let's, you know, we're a herd. And I point at somebody and I say, okay, you and you are besties and um, you have a stifle problem. And do you tell your bestie and almost to a person they're like, oh yeah, I'll tell my bestie. And I'm like, nope, you won't, you won't because your bestie will become your first enemy if there's something that is deemed to be um, a predator because you're gonna lure the predator in. So you're not even gonna, you're not even gonna show your bestie. Um, I think Wendy, in one of those um, other two seminars, I probably talked about the, um, the nasty red pony, the one that um, there was, um, it was Martina and, two other vets and a farrier and an osteopath and me. And we, we were all um, working together. We wanted to see what would happen when we all got to work together. And there were four horses we worked with and the last one was delivered as the nasty red pony. And what our process was, and this is on the topic of, you know, uh, not, not showing their pain. Um, we decided we would watch the horses walk off and that we would treat whatever we saw first. And so the horse walked off, it was a pony, and it was mildly, very mildly lame on the right hind. And so one vet and I had an idea about what to do to help support and improve that right hind. So we did that. And then the pony was walked off. The right hind was fine. And now it was a little bit more lame on the left hind. And so two other people said, nah, we'll do this. So, and they did that. Pony was walked off. It was significantly lame on now the left front. The farrier said, hmm, okay, I have an idea, picks up the foot. And it was, there was white line disease. It was mild. He said, you got a knife because he was from out of town. He cut out the area of white line and the horse was just this side of cripple on the right front. And it was a significant white line problem. You know, he probably had to cut out that wide and that, and that thick. And it was, it was acute, it was terrible. And the horse presented as a tiny little bit of lame on the right hind. So they have a survival need not to show. They honestly have a survival need not to show. And you know, you bring up such a good point because the horses that are really lame and the horses that are really sound, most everybody can get. But the ones in the middle, which is a lot of them, probably 80%, are the ones that are so, you know, we wonder why, why can't my vet diagnose my lameness problem? You just explained why because yeah. they compensate and, oh, yeah. and it's not until you start unwinding the, the knotted ball of, of string to figure out where it is. Uh, it's one of the reasons the lameness locator has actually been very useful for vets because it can analog, analyze movement and help, but you're absolutely right. Um, and so, you know, the, what we set out to do in terms of working with a horse is probably one of the most complicated things that anybody 
ever sets out to do because of all of the factors involved with dealing with a living, breathing beast. Yeah, but over time, I mean, I'm a, I'm, I could be like the master of complicating things, um, <laughs> but, and taking, you know, all kinds of other stuff into account, but somehow in this area, things have become super focused and super clear. And part of it's because of experiences like that one that I had with those three vets and an osteopath and a barrier. Um, you just, you know, see what you see and then do something and see what happens next. Um, I think one of the gifts, I mean, I just feel so blessed at everything I have, this whole journey that I've gotten to go on with body work and, you know, sort of opening the, I, I, recently I've been thinking about like a stage with curtains, you know, how you use the acting you know, curtains. And, and if this is as wide as the stage is, I started out with the curtains like this and I'm thinking, I know everything there is to know. <laughs> and then suddenly, you know, I, I get really focused right here and I'm like, oh, there's something over there. And then I go like that. I'm like, whoa, that's cool. And then I learned something else. And then it's like, well, hmm, there's something lurking back there. Whoa. And, and I just feel like the curtain of, um, wellness is the topic I'm talking about. It keeps getting wider and I keep realizing how um, stupid is a word that comes to mind, but let's say uninformed I was before. And so now I'm like, wow, I really have such a greater perspective. And I feel like the whole stage is open now, but probably it's not. <laughs> probably it goes way wider. Um, but my perspective is a lot wider, but, but, uh, but everything is quite simple. And, and it has become even more focused for me as I have started atten attending to this heart math topic. Oh, and well, it, we'll get into that, but I have a question from someone for you. Yeah. Um, uh, Diane says, how do you manage the timing and feel of no touch? In other words, you are envisioning an area and begin to see blinking and other signs of tapping into an area of stress release. Do you simply keep envisioning the area until you can res release, till you, I think, till you have a release sign? Yeah, yeah, um, great, great question, Diane. And um, it's, a, it's a skill that I have gotten way better at because I'm a Masterson practitioner. And the key to what we have to learn to do is just stand there. That, that process is search for a response and stay till you get a release. And when you're at the stay, you're not doing anything. You're not massaging, you're not pushing, you're not. And so, so I have become um, much more comfortable with just being present. And in this situation, it was the presence of my intention in that little piece of real estate. And the other thing that I have become more accepting of, I guess is a good way to put it, is that um, it's not my responsibility to unwind the fascia, like physically unwind it. It's my, my opportunity to create the stage and create the, the setting. And in this case, it was a setting of intention. And this is where it's like, woo woo, that's a little weirdo, um, but, but that's where we get into, um, and I have a slide that has a picture of the electromagnetic spectrum. Um, when I was in college, I'm like, oh my God, just gag me. That was horrible. That whole topic was horrible. 
everything, physics, science, chemistry, like, I hated it. But when I had to look at it and attend to it in order to get my um, thermal imaging certification, and I under, and I had this super expensive, really cool imager, and I could point it at stuff. I've got a picture, a slide later, where it's a picture of a hand put on a horse, and you can see the hand. That I had this, like, again, the curtain got drawn back, that everything that is emits energy. Everything. A rock, a flea, a horse, us, my phone, of course. You know, something that is, that is um, mechanical, we kind of get that there's electricity. But I think it's super easy to not know or to be forget or be unaware that everything emits energy. And we, we, anything that lives and has a heart, we are electric pulsing beings. We can't, some people can see it. I can't see it, but I can feel it. And everybody right now, right there, out there right now, take your hand and put it, you know, maybe a foot away and close your eyes and move, like, look at my hand and how fast I'm going to go. It's super slow. Okay. Begin okay, your eyes to see that part. <laughs> yeah. But for right now, I just want everybody to see, move okay. it slow. But, but once you understand how, how you're going, just close your eyes and move your hand toward your face. And when your cheek experiences your hand, stop your hand and look at it. Yeah. That's because of energy. That's because, because we are energy emitters and everything emits energy. So if everything emits energy, well, you know, I mean, think about, think about a uh, uh, heating pad. Okay, my back hurts. What do I want? I want heat. Okay, well, guess what? I got heat, okay? I can, they, my hand is emitting heat, but it not only is emitting heat, it's emitting energy. Guess what? Newsflash your thoughts emit energy. And that's not new to us. We know, think about some party you walked into and you, somebody walks in and you're like, ooh, that's good juju. Somebody else walks in and you're like, whoa, that's a creepadelic person, yuck. And you don't know them, you don't know anything about them. There's just something. And that's because thoughts matter, intentions matter. And it actually has different vibration rates, which is part of the heart math thing, you, you know? And so this, there is science to it. Th this lady, you need to have that Dr. Faye on because she's pretty, I've not met her, but she's pretty interesting. She's, you know, thoughts and images. Well, you know this, like any, everyone. Okay, well, I'm, I'm, I'm internally smiling, listening to you because I am a scientist by training, so I do understand energy. Um, and But I love listening to your story of how you've come to this awareness over this period of time. And I think that that's so genuine and so honest and so exciting that, and so self-effacing. I mean, that you're making fun of yourself for not knowing, but you know, that's the thing is we all have a timing and I think that in our, in our learning and becoming and understanding, it's also a timing that, Absolutely. you know, 
the idea that we would know this, I, so many people, if I only knew it then, well, you couldn't have known it then. That's why you know it now, <laughs> right? You needed that other experience to add to your body of knowledge that when you did finally discover this, it actually has value because of what you didn't know then. Does that make sense? Oh, absolutely. But I feel like now it's like, well, duh, this has been available to you for now 10 years. <laughs> And, and I've actually been teaching, I've been teaching this stuff for eight years, um, you know, about that, you know, the value of touch, but um, you're right. I mean, there's, there, the timing takes what the timing takes for me, you know, I think, I think I'm, it's okay to be skeptical. Um, it's okay to need more information. And, um, you know, I, uh, my like, shut up, that can't be real. You know, that reaction is one where it's, it was more founded on a lack of knowledge um, and that there needs to be a, a scientific explanation. And it's super simple. It's all about waves. Um, you know, how many of us like get all antsy about the fact that we can turn a radio on and hear music? Where's it coming from? Okay, how many of us get antsy about the fact that we can take our little phone and we can call somebody sitting in South Africa and have a little chat? Do we like go, well, how does that work? Like, I don't believe that works. I can't, that can't possibly be true. Well, anyway, meanwhile, you're talking to them, <laughs> you know? So um, there are certain things that we've just become accustomed to and it's well, fine. You bring up a really good point, okay? That, that both are true, that everything is energy and everything's in motion. And at the same time, it's rigid enough that we can pick this up as a phone and not as a moving object, right? Mm -hmm. Because if, it, if, if we could see it as a moving object, our hand would go through it because of the space between the atoms and then we couldn't make the call. So there's this balance, I think, between and this is, I think, the struggle for some people, the awareness that everything is energy. And then how do you deal with the everyday world? You still have to drive your car and cook dinner. By the way, you're using energy to cook your dinner. <laughs> you know, um, how do you balance it? I don't know. You know, for me, that kind of stuff doesn't be, that doesn't, I don't think about that. I think about things more like this wackadoodle person who says they can stand six feet across away from a horse and have an impact on the horse, like, woo, that's weirdo. Um, so, you know, that for me is where I get more caught up. You know, I'm like somebody who was super smart, figured out how to make a little thing and, and have it capture the waves and have it send the waves and like, aren't they amazing? Anyway, I just want to make my phone call. <laughs> Anyway, I just want to cook my food in my microwave or, you know, whatever, like somebody figured out fine. Um, but for me at the fact that it's tangible and visible somehow gives it truth in a way that if I stand here and ask something to happen in another body over six feet away, that that's more woo woo than me using this to talk to somebody in South Africa. But in fact, it's not. And what has happened is I have been able to look at that part of the stage and understand that there is science to it and understand like, you know, we're gonna, we, maybe we'll talk about heart math. You know, I have one of those little gizmos where I can put it on my ear. It's a great, it's a biofeedback mechanism. Okay. 
And so I can put the gizmo on my ear and then I can download the app and then I can breathe and I can see whether, you know, how my breathing is relative to whether I'm agitated or not. And we should live in the not. Um, and, um, you know, horses actually are gigantic living, breathing biofeedback mechanisms. When I walked in the stall and I put the halter on and I began to do my palpation and he said, I kill you. Um, that was a super big biofeedback mechanism. <laughs> um, and, and, and when I was like, hmm, I think I'll try this thing with my mind to see what will happen, to see if it will help you. Um, you know, there was a little minion on this shoulder. Usually it's this shoulder. Um, and um, he was like, you are so weird. This is so stupid. And how can you charge someone to, to, to do this? I'm like, well, shut up. Anyway, I'll go touch the horse later if it doesn't work. Um, uh, so, you know, it's my, my, my struggle is with the invisible. I'm not struggling with it so much anymore. Um, I had this crazy experience yesterday. Now that I had this with the, the, the bay horse and then the gray horse that I've been, I mean, I've been seeing her almost daily. Um, yesterday I'm teaching this class and we were in the indoor arena in a circle chatting and everybody's looking out the big barn door because there's some cacophony happening outside. And I'm like, what's going on out there, kids? <laughs> you know, and there was some horse that had been taken out to be lunged and it, it, well, before she even put the rope on, she let the horse loose and there was panic in the face of the students because they thought the horse was going to jump over. And, you know, then they all relaxed because the lady caught the horse up and she was beginning to lunge it. And then it got away from her and now it's running around and they're all worried that the horse is going to step on it. And I'm like, okay. So I stepped outside. And at that point, the horse had like, like he ran, 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 and he ran into a corner. And so I was like, hmm. I wonder what will happen. So I stood outside and I played a movie forward in my head. This had been going on for about 10 minutes. Okay. Horses freaking out. And so I walked outside and I just played a movie forward and said, she's there to help you. Just let her pick up the rope. And I, I played that movie for the horse. Just take a deep breath, stand still, let her grab the rope. She walked up and grabbed the rope. Mm -hmm. No, I don't know. Maybe it would have stood there anyway. I don't know. <laughs> so, but, but what that brings up is there's no harm in exactly, that. exactly, right? Exactly. There's that, and that's the you know, like in medicine, do no harm is their number one premise. Well, in playing a movie forward of things turning out in a really good way, there's no harm in that. Yeah, yeah. So playing yeah. the movie that it's going to turn out horribly, yeah, you know. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, the second thing that happened yesterday is there was a horse that was a part of the teaching crew. And at some point in there, one of the barn workers came in and said, we got to take his temperature because he's got diarrhea, blah, blah, blah. And, um, and so now it's two hours later and this same person comes to me and she's like, I've got to give him ulcer guard and I can't, it's not, I can't, I, can you come help me? I'm like, sure. So the horse's head is like at the peak of the ropes, you know, super high doing his giraffe impersonation. His eyes are all big and he's like, nah. And so I stopped about a foot and a half from him and I just breathed and I played a movie forward of, uh, you know, first of all, I was like, you probably have a stomach ache. You probably, probably this part of you is uncomfortable and we're here to help you. 
And we're just gonna, I'm just, just first of all, just put your head down. He put his head down. <laughs> and then I said, I'm just gonna put this little thing in here. I'm gonna squeeze it and it's gonna help your, 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 your tummy feel better. He put his face down. I grabbed the halter, I shoved it in. She's like, how'd you do that? I'm like, yeah, I just played a movie in my head. <laughs> and I walked away and went back to teach. <laughs> so again, you know, I, it's a do no harm, but I, it's shocking me as I incorporate this, how I'm building a book of stories about how it works. Could it be something else? Absolutely. Does it matter? But it Well, it does matter because I... There's a lot of the me from 10 years ago that are out there. And it's okay to be skeptical, but I think that I, I'm a voice and I'm a perspective that people might be open to listening to. And that's not my purpose, but, but I think it does matter because it will make, it will help me to be more effective. Um, and it, and to the extent that I can, share and people can go wow she's a wackadoodle but huh look at the rest of what she does that's interesting like maybe it's not quite so wackadoodle maybe I would explore that too so you know it's not about me but it's about um you know I I have a much bigger um awareness and heart for the the fact that that we can engage and communicate with horses and that that can create safety and wellness and um, it can de-escalate situations. So, I mean, for me, it, it can certainly de-escalate situations, you know, like that. I was initially, I was like, Oh, I don't know if I can help. And I'm like, yeah, you can. So it put me in a different mindset. Um, So that's where I think it could matter that it could open it could certainly it can help me, but it could open other people's perspective that maybe it could be useful to them too. So, well, and one of the things I think that you bring to this is that you have credibility. You have credibility in your experience and knowledge and what you do. Yeah. And you're willing to put yourself out there as someone who has credibility and is still learning and growing and yeah. willing to share that process with others so that they too can see it is okay. And there are other things that we can, that we may have experienced that we might've thought was weird, but really it's okay. Yeah. 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 Because I got to tell you, I mean, I, like literally judgy, totally judgy. <laughs> and, I, um, and, and now I'm like, eh, okay. Anyway, it's kind of weird, but it's working. <laughs> All right, Becky, Diane says, I would like to revisit a question about raising your hand to send intention in the area you were bringing the attention to while at a distance. Will you choose not to do that now since you are having success with only using what you envision? Would you explore both ways to see the individual what the individual horse prefers? Also, do you think there is a difference to the, for the horse in the quality of stress release if they will allow hands-on versus distance work? Um, so, uh, probably yes to all of that. (laughs) Um, I actually do in, well, at its foundation, I'm having a conversation with the horse's body and the horse. And, um, so 
my baseline training is with Masterson and, and we learn to um, inquire and we want to stay under the horse's brace response. And so you can imagine, you like if you got punched in the face and, and it was hurty, that the right side of your face, if it was all bruised and marred, you would not want a person touching this side of your face in the way that they might, you might be okay with them touching this side of the face. And if you came, they would be bracy here in a way that, that they would just let you touch here. And so we learn to um, modulate our presence and even the surface area of our presence, but watch the horse's response. So I incorporate that process into how I work with every modality I use, whether I'm using a red light or I'm using my hand or I'm using surefoot pads or I'm using a beamer, okay? Everything I use, I'm engaged in a conversation with the horse because I'm watching the horse's body's response. So I do um, that weaving together process that I said that I used with that bay horse, but from six feet away, I absolutely do closer because, you know, the fact of the matter is that um, sometimes close energy um, is more effective, more quickly to a greater surface area um, because at, at fundamentally it's, it's about the cellular level uh, activity inside the horse's body and, and fascia. And so um, I don't, I think in one of my other ones, we talked about that fascia magnified um, search that you can do and watch for three minutes and see fascia, live fascia. Um, when I first watched that video, I was like, got it. I don't have to mush and push and do, I just need to be present. And so, um, Diane, I am coming in and coming out. I think there's super big value in, in, the, in, in close presence if that zone can take it. But if it can't take it, I now know that the energy of my intention can actually help too. So I, I do think that um, close and visualizing what should happen, that's a super powerful um, combination. But, um, you know, I don't know, maybe it's like soup. <laughs> okay. You know, the, the, if you can get all of the ingredients in, it's like, whoa. But if you're missing one or two, it's still good. It's just that you didn't get the bay leaf in, you know? So it, to, to the extent that we can get all of them in and I can actually be touching, I think that's the best because then I'm able to inquire directly of the tissue. How do you slip? How do you slide? How do you glide? What, what's the trajectory of what you can do? Because in the end, what I'm doing is I'm inquiring um, with a horse um, design specs manual in my head about how this part should move or flex or, or extend. I have that in my head and then I show up and I go, right, but okay, what can you do with this part? And then I just try to make it a little better. Whatever it can do, it can do, but I try to make it a little better. You, you bring up some really interesting points. One of which is any artist who is really good at what they do has already studied or has a firm grasp of the technique. 
And it's once you have a firm grasp of any technique, and I'm, you know, I'm talking very broad here, then you can allow the space for the artistic rendition of that technique in whatever canvas it's being applied to. And yeah. so, you know, I think of it kind of like a pyramid that if you have, have a base, you can do something here and be artistic here from the space, right? Mm -hmm. My drawings, <laughs> right? But if you have experience teaching, which I do 30 years of teaching writing, I have a huge base. So my, my creative talents can be expressed sort of in curly cues and because I know what my roots are. Um, and I and I hear that in what you're describing, the importance of of understanding the system, understanding the fascia, understanding the bones and the skeleton, to allow you to then sit there and visualize the tape rolling forward. Which the other piece I want to bring up is you're not playing a tape of what you want to happen. You're playing a tape of possibilities. Yep. And I think that's yep. important to talk about. Yeah, because. Um, it's, I, I don't have permission to impose my expectations on what should be, which is uh, something I've arrived at. That's hard. That's been super hard. I might cry because um, I am an A-type doer and it has been a costly lesson for me to um, give anybody, including the people closest to me in my life, permission to be whoever they're going to be without regard to what I think is better or best or what they ought to be. And um, that's true of the horses too, because, you know, maybe they need the compensation that they have. Maybe, maybe the way they get through their life is for the range of motion of their right front to not be at 100%. Maybe that's how they get through. Maybe that's how they do the job they do. So um, I think, you know, there's so many gifts I have gotten from my, my learning and teaching of the Masterson method. And, and perhaps the biggest one, which has been hardest for me to apply to humans is I understand what the design spec manual is. And now what can you do with this and I ask that hundreds of times in every session at each joint and junction and, and tissue mobility. I ask, that's the same question. I arrive with the same question and then I leave and go to another place and I ask the same question. What can you do? Um, and, then, and then I don't, well, to be honest, I do go, that kind of sucks for you. Um, <laughs> when, 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 you know, the, the design spec manual is like this and he's like me. <laughs> and so I do like, I do kind of laugh and go, Ooh, that sucks for you. Um, like, can we make it a little better? Because that's the conversation I have. I know what it should be. I show up and I say, well, what can you, what can you do? You part. And, and then I, and then I use my knowledge of near and far and connectivity and tools of my hands or my mind or my implements or my sure foot pads or whatever. I, I put together a um, symphony of tools to try to inquire, can you get a little better, a little bit better? And I don't know what a little bit better is for you. Yesterday, one of the horses, um, scapula release, that hoof in the design spec horse um, ought to go 
probably two feet forward. Okay. This horse, when we started, could literally do a quarter of an inch. Now, of course, the horse is walking along, but it's different when you ask in a relaxed state and you say, I'll take over all of you dudes on winches who are keeping the, the leg on the torso, like y'all just relax. I'm gonna take over and, and inquire how far will the foot go forward? It was a quarter of an inch. And then we did some things and I came back and it was three inches. And it was like, whoa, man, let off the fireworks. <laughs> because that was huge for that horse. The horse was licking and chewing and yawning and his eyes were rolling back in his head. Now, did he get the two feet? Nope. Is he going to get the two feet? I don't know. But he got an improvement which was profound for him. And so this piece about not um, deciding what the outcome will be has been hard fought learning for me. Um, I do it really well with the horses because I'm not emotionally attached. Mm, I think is the biggest piece. Mm -hmm. um, I'm not financially attached. Like, eh, you know, you don't get any better, whatever. Your saddle still doesn't fit. Eh, I'll just tell them, but <laughs> doesn't affect me. <laughs> I'm here as an advocate for the horse, but I don't have a, I don't have an emotional attachment. I don't have a financial attachment. I don't have a, like, I might have to take you care of you in the future attachment. You know, there's, there's all this other stuff for humans that winds its way in. So it's much easier in the horsey world, but um, yeah, I think it's super important that we don't, we don't decide with our agenda. My only agenda is to, is to, find tension and restriction and try to reduce it and, and help them feel a little better, help them go a little better. Um, and then, you know, we'll see what that looks like and, and whether they can keep it. Um, you know, we're kind of archeologists though, like the little nasty red pony. Um, you know, sometimes we unearth stuff. Um, but even that, you know, when I first started, I was like, <gasps> what if I, what if I reveal something that's like bad? And um, now I'm like, I tell people at the outset, um, you know, we might unearth something that the horse is the horse is covering up. But the good news is, if we unearth it now, you and your vet can go find it, because if they're hiding it, y'all can't find it. So, uh, I'll just apologize in advance, but then I'll say also thank you for you know <laughs> letting me help you um, find stuff. So, so someone's asked, um, how do you decide what instances to work? To to, re to release a compensation versus leaving the compensation as something the horse needs? Um, so um, I think the biggest piece of it is, is um, for me being able to have a super um, attuned conversation. A, a piece of it also is not deciding what, uh, what the outcome is gonna be and um, you know, the, the horse's body is, it's really clear communicator once you understand how to, to listen with your eyes and listen with your, your hands. There are super clear physical indicators. Um, now, 
you know, my process doesn't just start with me showing up and put my hands all over the horse. My process is way backed up and I'm talking to the horse as humans and I'm understanding what the history of the horse is and, you know, does it, there's a whole intake process that I go through. And um, so, you know, if a horse has, I could create a story about a horse that we would know because of the intake history that there was some sort of physical dilemma that was in the past combined with a current job. Like we just had this conversation at the end of this class yesterday um, about horses who do different kinds of jobs, specifically a therapy horse job. Mm. That could be, in my opinion, the hardest job there is to do. And those horses, not only have the, the ridden therapy horse, they need to get them their own selves through life they have to accommodate whatever saddle they get to have put on their back with whatever foot program and whatever mouth program. And then they are the host to whoever the client, the list of clients are that are, that they're, that they're helping. And the, the horse that's a therapy horse, more often than not in a ridden program, those, the people that are riding those horses have balance issues. They might have cognitive issues. They, 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 they might have, you know, their own physical tension and restriction and all of that because the horse is a herd animal, they mirror. Now, they not only mirror, they have to oppose it. I mean, think about when you were a kid and you were in a pool and you're playing chicken. And your, you know, dumbass little brother was on your shoulders, like leaning off all the time. What do you have to do? You have to, you have, if, I mean, you can either let them fall off, but if you're going to keep them up, you, you gotta, you gotta do things with your body to hold them up. And um, the therapy horse has all of those opportunities to help. And then there's the emotional piece. So it would be not appropriate given that horse's job to go through and loose all the cables of restriction because they would be incapable of doing their job. We all need a certain amount of tension and restriction or we'll be heaps on the floor. And depending on what our job is, we might need more tension and restriction and not less. So um, it starts with a conversation about what do we know about the history? What do we know about the present? What do we know? Are there, do you have um, certain um, behavioral challenges? Do you have certain performance challenges? What do we know? What's the program with the feet and the tech? You know, I got a super thorough process. Um, so I'm not just coming in flat footed with a hundred percent program where I'm like, yeah, I'm going to find it and get rid of it. You yeah. know, I, it, it's, no, there's an ethical piece to being a professional coming in working on horses that yeah. you've got to really understand what that horse's job is because as you say you could you could do something that would then make them not serviceable for their job well right by, by reducing the compensation which isn't sort of that's not why they brought you in right they brought you in to help the horse not to and there's always that fine line between what you discover that may hinder that horse from really being able to do his job and what you leave that helps him do his job. I mean, it's such yeah. a fine line. Well, and also it may be that they want to know that information. 
They want to find where the source of the problem is, like the nasty red pony, um, and, and to how we found that. They may want to know, but they may not want to know today. Yeah. Because the, tomorrow they're like going to leap tall buildings. <laughs> so, so when they're off and they're off week, then, yep, let's do the bigger program. Meanwhile, in this one, you like, you know, how's this? How's that? La, 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 la. Okay, ready, go. So, you know, I'll skitter around like a little water bug running on top of the pond, you know, right before a compensation, I mean, for, for their competing. Um, but when it's like, you know, this has been chronic, we keep bumping into this one little thing and it's, we can get through and they're performing well, but you know, there's something, there's just something. And we're, let's, let's really have you do a more, more in-depth um, pro uh, session, but not this week, like next week. So, so it's, it's, what's the past, what's the present, what's the current story, what's happening, you know, next. Um, but you know, I, I'm, I'm part of an equine professional team. I don't, I don't do anything as a rifle shot and then in and out and gone. Now I may not have a personal relationship with anybody else on the team, but I have a very clear understanding of the client and who they've got on the team and what they're doing and, and, and where do I fit? Um, so. So, so <laughs> Patty's question, my question was more about what the horse tells you about the degree of compensation, not the initial evaluation. So um, if we talk about the nasty red pony, um, initially he was compensating with the right hind. And we could all see it. He wasn't really lame, but he was, you know, and, and with that horse, um, when I was actually doing the work, I was, I decided to do so as work with that horse, because I was like, yeah, you know, I think the range of movement of that is, has to do with that. So as group, and it's not as slippy, slidey and extendy as it ought to be. Um, and so, um, you know, the, I think the answer in part depends on the, the different parts of the horse that you can work around. Um, but like when you're dealing with the psoas there, you know, that, that muscle group either is, ex, you know, extending the way it ought to. And what that's going to look like is when you invite that, that hoof to go down and back, it's going to be like, if it's all working appropriately, um, it's going to be, you know, working like a rubber band and the hoof's going to go back and it's going to, it's, and it's going to go diagonally back and straight back. And you're going to have sort of easy movement of that. You're going to have a pelvis on that right side that bounces. You're going to have lateral rocking, all that's going to be bouncing. And if it's not, then I'm going to go and it's going to be like, you know, making my phone flex. It doesn't. Um, when I, when I ask for the hind leg to go back, it's going to be like, <laughs> this is my dog's walking. Day. There's no extension there. So the compensation, the other side of compensation of the horse is restriction when you ask it a question. So if I encounter impedance in direction of movement or or, you know, I, I have a sense of what design horse specs are for all the parts that I ask to move. 
So when I ask you, do you move? And the body says, nope. And by the way, you ask a little harder, I kick you. Um, <laughs> then, then I'm interacting with the horse's body, but I'm also interacting with its communication. And so um, I don't know, Patty, did I get it? Did I get closer to what you were asking about? If you did, if I didn't, just type in there again and I'll try again. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it, the thing is, we can talk in theory, but it really is when you're with that particular horse and you feel that particular pattern and you feel whether or not there's a change. And in, I'm sure there are times that you feel when it's like, no, I am going to stay here. This is where I am right now. Don't bother me. Whereas you can go somewhere else and the response is, yes, I'm happy to do something different. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, it absolutely is the case. Um, and, um, you know, I'm, I'm I like the, that's coming into my head right now. I don't know, maybe somebody out there's got a question about, about saddle and tack. Okay. So I, maybe somebody out there is thinking about that because it's now in my head. Um, but if, um, if a person is not going to change their saddle, they're not for whatever reason, maybe they just bought a new one. Maybe somebody told them it fit. Maybe they believe it fits. Maybe, I don't know, whatever. Maybe they're not going to change their saddle. If that is the horse's honest to God truth. And I know what I know because of the training that I have. And I encounter a back where I believe hundred percent that the issue is the saddle. I'm not going to remove the compensation that I find in their back. I'm going to create mobilization of the limbs. I'm going to create mobilization of the thorax, but I'm not going to take away the situation that I find in the saddle because um, that's not going to help them. I will attempt to communicate with the client, but you know, um, my job is to um, be an advocate for the horse and I will, um, and I'll try to help educate people to see what that what I see and you know you it's either accurate or it's not um maybe it's not maybe they get somebody else to take a look at it but um you know I I haven't fired a client but I could see that I might if I was in a situation where um I encountered a compensation in a horse that was correlated with a choice or lack of choice of an owner. Um, and if I worked with the horse, I would make the horse worse by making it a little bit better. I could, I could invent a scenario where I would no longer go back to a client, but I don't have clients like that. You know, I have clients who want, who want to sort out what the primary issues are, but, um, you know, so it really does depend, you know, you said, Wendy, you know, we, it kind of depends on the situation, but um, you know, I, that's just one where I could, I could invent a story where there's a compensation in the horse that um, because of choice or lack of choice, um, I'm, I might not address that compensation. You know, that's kind of a, that's a sad story. That's a bad story about compensation. There are other compensations that, um, you know, that the, the, the horse just might need it. But again, it uh, my body work is informed by knowledge from the humans and then what I learn from the horse's body. And um, so, 
And and Becky, wouldn't it be fair to say that you could play your movie of in the future, seeing that owner recognize that there's something with their saddle that may need to be changed? I mean, here 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 we can take what we started with and put that into the scenario because there's no downside to it. Yeah. So I could do it invisibly. Yeah. That's again, we're to the part where humans are hard for me, you know, because I am my A type personality because I have, I've gotten so much better. Um, but you know, I mean, problem fix it. Okay. That's just how I am. Problem identify it, fix it. That's how I am. And if the problem is a human, you know, let's just get it done. Um, but I've gotten better. So yes, I could play a movie forward. I tend to, um, you know, people don't know what they don't know. And for the most part, people, people want the best, um, you know, and then they're constrained by whatever they're constrained, our time, money, whatever, lack of knowledge. And so, you know, I, um, I just try to help people understand and how to help people have knowledge. Um, it's actually, you know, saddle fitting is complicated, but it's super, super, super I boil it down to being super simple. Um, you've got uh, anatomic structure, A, horse, anatomic structure, B, saddle, anatomic structure, C, human. And those three anatomic structures have whatever geography they, they have, and they ought to play nicely together. And it's pretty straightforward to map. It's very straightforward to map the horse's anatomy. And it's super straightforward to feel and see and, and know what the, the saddle anatomy is. And once I draw that and I go, okay, put your saddle on. I mean, I have had a horse that was the hardest story. Well, two hard stories on tack. The hardest story was a woman who was diligent. She was so diligent with her saddle. It was fitted to her horse like seven years before. She had the, the company and its reps come look every six months. And this was when I was like a baby. I was such a baby in, in this body work. It was right. She was one of my very first horses that I was working with. And I was like, woo. I think it's the saddle. No, I didn't say that. It was like in my brain. I was saying that because of how we evaluate and what we know and the tissue. And I was like, hmm, I think it's a saddle. Um, but I didn't say anything until after I went to my saddle fit training. And it was super simple. I mapped the horse on the horse and I said, okay, put the saddle on. It was like this much too long. And the billets, you know, went here and the location for the heart girth was over here. It didn't take a rocket scientist. It only took being able to see, know how to see. Right. And she was just like, how could that happen? I'm like, I don't know. Sadly, it happens a lot. So Patty's asking, if you know you have a restricted psoas, for example, does the horse ever tell you he needs that compensation to protect something else? Um, a horse can tell me that they need the restriction for some, any kind of reason, because when I identify what they can do and I ask for a little improvement, I don't get an improvement. So that's how they tell you don't get an improvement. And because of the way I work and the way we teach people to work, we're working under the horse's brace response. We're working under the horse's flight response. So if they need it, they're not going to let it go. And they and you'll know that because you ask and inquire and you get a physiologic 
um, movement or, or communication and behavior, which says back up. I can't do that. I'm like, got it. So that's how the, that's from my perspective, that's how I identify um, boundaries and, and a need to keep the compensation. Um, now, you know, it's coming to my mind that was someone who called me out and it, the horse was part, a little bit lame. And um, she asked me to work with the horse. And I'm like, just so you know, uh, I mean, it could go that way or that way. You know, we could make things better or we could make things materially worse, depending on what the source of the problem is. Have you had your vet out? No. She's coming out next week. Are you sure you want me to do this? Yes. Okay. Are you really sure? Yes. I'm like, okay, good. So I work with the horse. We took, first of all, she sends the horse around on a lunge line. And I was like, it was kind of like the nasty red pony, a little bit lame. And that one behind, I'm like, okay, so we go. Now that horse I worked through, it didn't tell me I need to keep this compensation. I need to keep this compensation. So I did what I did. I made an improvement, blah, blah, blah. We took the horse out. We lunged it, cripple, completely cripple. So did I remove compensation that it had been using to hide the severity of its problem? Absolutely. Did the owner want me to do that? Absolutely. Because now when the vet showed up, everybody knew what they were looking at. Um, so, you know- but Everybody has to be on board with that. Exactly, exactly, exactly. Yeah, and, and there are owners who say they're on board, but when it goes dead lame, then you find out they weren't totally committed. Right. And, you know, that's when I, um, I pull up my archeologist analogy, yeah. <laughs> you know, you know, when, when I'm, you know, there, we may not know there's bones under there, but when we start, you know, digging in and getting our little, little paintbrush in there and like, whoop, look at what we found. <laughs> so, you know, I mean, so I haven't, I haven't had a client get ticked off at me. Um, but, but it does, you know, you're going to make changes. You're right. going to, um, you're going well, to unearth things. And the key is to manage the expectations of the owner. Yep. Not the expectations of the horse. He doesn't have expectations, but no. the expectations of the owner and right. clarity um, in conversation. If, so that if something like that happens, you've already had the conversation that it might happen. So then you can fall back and say, you know, we talked about this. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You know, it doesn't always go for good right out of the chute, but, you know, we know this in our own lives. You know, we know that before, like, I need to focus on this. You know, we know that before it gets really good, it's kind of hard. Um, but we, you know, we, 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 we don't like dealing with the hard. Um, no. But if we don't deal with the hard, then we can't have the really good. So anyway. Cool. Well, Becky, this has been a fascinating conversation. Um, as someone is just saying, you've brought up so many fascinating points. There's so much to learn and understand. I always enjoyed the description of your journey and new perspective. Just fun here. Oh, she's pulled up the swan video. Yeah. Yeah. I'm coming out of the fog, but I'm pretty sure, you know, like five years from now, I'm going to go, huh? Well, was I in the dark? <laughs> um, you know, that's, but that's the fun part of this whole thing, isn't it? Yeah. Well, for me, it is. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I keep learning. Part of it is because I'm terrified that, you know, I'm going to have dementia. So if I just keep exercising <laughs> my brain, then maybe I'll be okay. <laughs> it looks like Lisa is raising her hand. Lisa, did you have something? Did you raise your hand? Hang on. I got to find her. 
I'm going to do a share screen quick because there were a couple things that were resources that maybe people want to see. So hold okay. on one sec. Great. And I just brought Lisa in if she unmutes. Hi. Hey, Lisa. Hi. I just wanted to say, Becky and uh, Wendy, this conversation is phenomenal for anyone, whether you're an owner, whether you're a body worker, whether you're an instructor. This conversation of the interplay of all the factors that are involved, it's its wonderful. Absolutely wonderful. I'm glad it's been helpful, Lisa, and, and I agree. Um, I just wanted to give a snapshot of my the, my tools of intention. So I, I use modalities. These are the ones that are presently sort of on top. I use my, my knowledge to facilitate visualization. It's become clear to me that not everybody knows how to visualize things. Um, so my tools are my knowledge of the musculoskeletal anatomy. If I don't know it at the time, I get my little app out and I open it up and I'm like, wait, where do you live? Oh, right here to there. Um, fascia and fascial freeways. Um, and then and then just so, this is becoming more aware to me. This whole topic of mindfulness has been sort of like woo woo and I've been all judgy about it, but now I'm being more open to it. Um, so intending to support and improve, um, being completely present. For me, that means mentally I'm present. I'm nowhere else. I'm not thinking about anything else. I'm present, but it's also being completely geographic and in it, in it, uh, with the horse's body. Um, and then recently I've started creating and playing these videos in my mind. Can um, you play from, from current slides so that it's bigger? For oh, yeah. Um, just, oops. Oh, well, that's okay. That works too. Um, there we go. So this is what I used to say until about a month ago with the Masterson work that patient, presence plus patience equals power. And that's still true, but I'm more aware of some additional nuances now. This is a picture I took with my thermal imaging camera um, of a person's hand. And I just think it's so representative of what's invisible to us that, that the the energy of ourselves. So that's hand was put right on that horse. Um, I, I love Charlie Mackesy and um, this series that he did about storms because we have storms, we have physiologic storms, we have intellectual storms, emotional storms. Um, and it is true that they'll always pass. Um, Sometimes all you hear about is the hate, but there's more love in this world than you could possibly imagine. Um, and then he says, I've realized why we're here, whispered the boy. And of course the mole always wants cakes um, to love, said the boy and be loved. And I am, you know, if sounds feels a little woo woo, that love word, you know, but the fact is that, that I'm learning more now with the heart math that our our positive intention has a different vibration rate that can be matched and that it is toward health. So that love is about um, intentional, intentionally um, cr creating wellness, whether it's emotional or physical wellness. And um, so now I'm learning to harness this intention and desire to love. And so now my formula is that we have purpose and pictures. So that's the visualizing piece plus presence plus patience gives us the power to influence. And, you know, this heart is 
it, it, it beats and there is, there is energy and intention. And with heart math, the, um, the energetic distance that the horse's heart extends. Um, I don't know, Lisa may know for sure, but it goes far. Um, it's, it seems to me that it's about 30 feet and, and our own heart is, um, the, the energetic, uh, it can be measured. It's more like three feet. Um, so, you know, I just think that, uh, it's interesting to me to actually look at this topic of all the vibration and, you know, when we, you know, the football ground is vibrating and, you know, somebody later could freeze frame this and look at, at everything that is, is somewhere on, on this spectrum and it's all emitting energy and it's either energy for good or energy for bad. Sometimes things that are useful can be overdone. It's true with energy. When I'm teaching a class, there are some people who are great big emitters, which is a great tool, but they have to be further away from the horse. Their hand has to be further and they have to learn how to dial it down. So I just wanted to put this, this is, you know, from heart math. Again, you can pause it later. I know we need to wrap it up, Wendy, but, um, but um, you know, th this has been sort of a, a growing awareness for me because did you know? Nope. Nope. That would be a hard no. Didn't know um, that negative emotions create nervous system chaos. Yeah. I kind of knew that, you know, we know that when we're nervous um, we don't breathe as deeply. Um, but, but there are other physiologic negative activities that occur in our bodies when we have negative emotions, but the opposite of true when we is true when we have positive emotions, it's physically, um, healthier for us. And we can, um, we can get better at that for ourselves and we can harness it to interact with other people and other creatures. Um, and so resources I'm learning from right now, this is the book I'm talking about, Wendy, you will want to uh, check this out. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so this is the book, it's super cool. Uh, I, I highly recommend it. Um, the two classes I'm taking relating to heart math right now, or one of them is um, offered through the shift network. They got a ton of classes. Some of them got to tell you, I look at the title. I'm like, yeah, that's just outside my boundaries. I'm not sure it's actually on the stage. It's kind of a little weird, um, but there are other ones. I'm like, okay, that one feels comfortable to me. I'm going back. So anyway, there's a lot of stuff there. And then um, heart math is a super interesting so Becky, I want to ask you since you're involved with HeartMath, obviously they've measured the, they've done the experiment with the horse and the human both hooked up to that biofeedback units. Yep. Are those available or how can we, can we recreate that experiment? In other words, what I would really love to know is when a horse is on surefoot pads, I think that we're seeing a change in their heart coherence. I would love some way to measure that. Yeah, there's actually somebody that is, I forget if it's in this middle class or the right class. There's somebody who has asked that question because the study that they did was a while ago. Right. Um, and they have talked about, um, there has been word that they're going to do, you know, more studies, but um, I have to, like, there's a Facebook group. I'll, uh, on sidebar, I'll go look at that Facebook group because a person asked, um, actually it's a Masterson person in the um, Netherlands, um, 
she asked in the last two weeks. Um, and I didn't go back and look what the answer was. Yeah, so. because that would be just a really, really cool thing to do. And we do have, um, uh, oh, Lisa says Sacred Spaces is a wonderful read. And um, from the Institute of Heart Math, human energy field is eight to 10 feet for okay. horses. Uh, no, human yeah. energy field, eight to 10 feet. Horses electric magnetic field is five times larger. So we're talking yeah. uh, 50, could be up to 50 feet. Yeah. Um, well, and that big heart and their slower heart rate um, and the energy coming out of horses who like, what do they like to do? They like to stand around and eat and hang out and yeah. you know, be neighborly. <laughs> okay. So, you know, there, there is just good juju. It's heart juju um, coming from horses. And so, you, you know, it's just super beneficial to be in the presence of horses. Um, but we can get better at it. I mean, I, you must know, Wendy, from your own work that you're doing that, um, that there are, there is this gizmo that you can attach to your own ear. You know this, right? And there's an That's what I use every day. Okay. Right. Um, so what you're asking is whether or not the, um, the, 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 there's, there's the corollary to the horse. And I don't know that, but it has been asked and we can, I'll get back to you. Yeah, no, I've been, um, I don't know, six months. I have to go back and look how long, but I meditate every day with my heart math. And the, the thing that I have discovered recently is by changing the length of time of my inhalation versus exhalation has really helped get into higher level of coherence. So that was just kind of an interesting discovery. I started playing with that. Yeah. Well, that's making me think about this other book that was published this um, in 2020 um, it's called breathe, uh, or breath. Let me just, oh, here it is. It's called breath. The book is by James Nestor. And th 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 this has like T-boned me to realize, I mean, we breathe all the time, obviously. Um, but we're all breathing wrong <laughs> and the implications of not breathing appropriately. And it, it was triggered to think about it, Wendy, because you said you were breathing more deeply. Um, if you're not breathing with your mouth closed, you're not doing it right. And, <laughs> and uh, I would just encourage everybody to go look up that book, Breath. Um, there are some audio recordings where you can go listen to that guy, but it, the, the health implications of actually how we breathe is shocking for how beneficial breathing can be if you're doing it the way we're supposed to and how deleterious it is if we're not breathing appropriately you know breathing again um it's um james nestor n as in nancy e s as in sam t o r um it's i had to tell you i was like my mouth was open literally and then I needed to close it. And go, supposed to okay, be. <laughs> okay, wait, I got to close my mouth because wow, look at all that bad stuff happening when you have your mouth open um, and look at the good things that happen. So it's amazing. And that, so we, the weaving together of the, the rate that you breathe and with the heart math that, you know, you're doing the heart center breathing and these classes that I'm taking are giving me other things, you know, it matters. It matters how you breathe. It matters the depth and the rate of your breath. It matters that you attend 
to and sort of envision that your breath is coming in and out from the heart zone. Um, it matters what you're thinking about and what you're visualizing and um, that, that you're visualizing, you know this Wendy, cause you're practicing it, um, but, but that, you're, that you're visualizing that you're in a happy, calm place or that you're intending some, um, well, uh, some beneficial uh, outcome for um, for someone else, and um, so anyway, that breath book is whoa. And and just to, I'm just going to throw this out here, which will um, if you breathe with your mouth open at night, there is something called myotape, which is basically kinesio tape cut to your lips so that it yeah. keeps your mouth closed so you breathe through your nose. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> well, this guy, Nestor. And another guy, I think he was from, he was from some Scandinavian country. They did a study, um, two studies, one where they taped their lips closed so they couldn't open their mouth at night. And they had all different kinds of tape that they tried, which was hard for them. Um, and then, and they, they, they did all kinds of um, uh, bodily function measurements when they were breathing through their nose. Um, and then they stuffed stuff up their nostrils and they breathed only for their mouth. Um, and it was an extended period of time. I don't remember how long, weeks, it seems to me. And they exercised and then they measured those same things. And it was like, oh my gosh, but there's facial changes. There's, there's structure of head changes. It's, it's amazing. Wow. It, it's amazing and kind of creepy. Um, <laughs> but you know, it's, it's been interesting because I, you know, I've been messing with this stuff for a little while now and I've been messing with heart math for a long time. Um, but it's so interesting to see how we keep coming back to the fundamental of our breath, uh, yeah. the rhythm of our breath, the synchronization with our heart, the, I have to be so careful with heart math because I, if I try to think about happy thoughts, it doesn't work. Oh yeah. I have to not think about those because it puts me too much into my mental state. It's really, I have to like do this whole other little avenue. That, Interesting. Well, An well, opportunity for you to get better. Oh, I'm, I'm definitely getting better, but I have to do it. I, it's so, because I, I watch myself. Well, so this is weird when you're a scientist, you start experimenting in yourself and you're doing these things. Right? <laughs> so I can see the thought and then I can see it change in the biofeedback. And I'm like, oh yeah, that was that thought. But I can think about a different type, similar thought and it's okay. So it's, yeah. it's such a fascinating, anyway, I could go on. Um, it is super interesting. Yeah. It's super interesting. Yeah. Definitely. Awesome. Well, Becky, this is, as always, it's been such a pleasure. And you know what I'd love? I'd love you to come back in a few months um, this winter, perhaps, because things are going to get busy and, and let us know where you are, you know, okay. what's changed in the next, say, six months. And we'll have you come back and we'll see, right. because I'm, I'm so enjoying this process that you're going through. And, um, and I just, I just think everybody's really enjoyed the conversation. So plan on that. Okay. Yep. Happy to. But I'm, I'm like a bobblehead doll and it'll be a helium balloon. So um, <laughs> it'll float into the sky and I'm happy to do it. But like some, there's gotta be somebody pulling down the string. So you're perfect. And you always have that ground. It's really true. It's really true. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you, Becky. It's great to see you. It's and thanks everybody you. for joining us today. And just remember, you can find this and all of the other webinars on the Surefooty Fine YouTube channel. Have a fabulous rest of your day. All right. Thanks so much. Bye.
Bye. Bye, everybody.